Aloha, everybody, and welcome to another installment of the Pod Squad. Chad Blair with Honolulu Civil Beat. And today we're talking immigration. And to help us understand that topic, which is b- becoming even hotter as we speak, is Marielena Incapie. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did. Hey, not too bad. Executive Director of the National Immigration Law Center that's in Los Angeles. Uh, she and her organization are a leading voice on immigration policy and social justice. And Maria Elena, what brings you to Honolulu? I had the great honor of being invited to speak on Friday night um, to share what's happening um, in the country on immigration. And uh, the speech was entitled From Resistance to uh, Resilience. I believe that although we're experiencing some really challenging times in our country at this moment, um, I'm actually very optimistic about the future. Well, I want to talk about that. And that uh, was subtitled A New Vision on Immigration and Social Justice. Before we talk talk about the talk as well as these uh, very important issues that are going on nationally with immigration. Tell us a little bit about the National Immigration Law Center. I'd be happy to. So the center is headquartered in Los Angeles and we have a Washington, D.C. office and we focus at the intersection of immigration status, race, and class. We focus on low-income immigrants um, and their loved ones and we're basically using multiple strategies to try to um, ensure that today's immigrants and refugees have the same opportunities and rights that previous generations have had so that they can thrive in our country, contribute to their families, to our society, and that together as a country, we continue to improve. And I should just plug here that uh, her talk, her visit to Honolulu, sponsored by UH Manoa's College of Social Sciences, Better Tomorrow Speaker Series, and the Scholar Strategy Network, and the Hawaii Community Foundation, this last group that we work with very closely here. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by from resistance to resilience. I, I can make all sorts of uh, interpretations of what that might mean, but I'll just have you tell me, what do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is this moment in our country is a, a time of a lot of fear, a lot of trauma in immigrant communities. Um, the current anti-immigrant xenophobic climate um, is resulting in increased hate crimes, um, We have been resisting through litigation, through working in Congress, supporting through legal and policy strategies, supporting the organizing in immigrant communities across the country. You've seen people resisting going to the airports, for example, um, when the the, the administration started by shutting the doors on um, Muslim individuals, for example. We had that actually at Honolulu International Airport. We had folks show up exactly when Trump issued that. If I remember correctly, it was very early on in his administration. First week. First week, first Friday, week. January 27th, I will never forget. Yeah. <laughs> and but, but it was that combination of resistance of people, everyday people in this country coming forth, going to airports, volunteering, saying, no, this is not who we should be. This is not who we want to be as a country. And that level of resistance is, has hap- is happening every single day. Um, we at the National Immigration Law Center, um, from the very beginning, actually, we were planning for the potential of a Trump administration or a Clinton administration. And so we were slightly more prepared with the fact is that um, the reality has turned out to be much, much worse than anything we imagined. And as lawyers, we know what's at stake for the country, what's at stake for the Constitution, um, for our democracy, frankly, and that immigration is actually a defining, um, it's a defining moment. It's a defining issue for our nation about who we're becoming. And so the shifting from resistance to resilience is finding that in the midst of so much trauma and pain, um, people are finding resilience. People are tapping into and finding a way out and that um, we also believe that we need to shift and not operate simply on a defensive mode, not simply in rapid response, putting out fires, um, which I actually think is part of what the strategy is that this administration is um, 
putting forth so many anti-immigrant proposals that were constantly putting out fires and in this defensive mode, rather than stepping back and really thinking about what is what is what is our vision for a more inclusive and equitable society. Yeah, speaking of putting out fires, Hawaii again played an important role signing on. Uh, to the attorneys general that, that filed, our Doug Chin, the former attorney Absolutely. general, very much at the forefront of that, and our governor, David Ige, uh, both uh, the former AG and our governor, uh, sons or grandsons of immigrants, and as you probably know, Hawaii, extremely diverse in terms of its ethnic and, and national representation, just like California. Absolutely, well, so. yes. I We are so grateful for the role of Hawaii and former Attorney General Doug Chin, who I've had the chance to work closely with. Um, you know, the, it was really important to have a state like Hawaii step out in front in leading other states against the travel ban, for example, and suing and taking that way all the, all the way up to the Supreme Court. Let's uh, bring us up to speed on a couple of key issues. First, the policy on family separation and refugee refusal, refusal of asylum. Uh, this is what the Trump administration and Stephen Miller, his top aide on this. Where are we on that? Yes. So unfortunately, even today, uh, families continue to be separated. There's a lot of litigation uh, under works. But the, the the main thing that's happening, Chad, is that this administration has been intent on what's called the zero tolerance policy. They're trying to send a deterrence message, basically. But when people are seeking safety in our country, which is a right they have to do both do so both under domestic and international laws to seek asylum um, and to have the ability to do that. This administration is basically blocking them, taking away that legal ability to do so. And in fact, just in the last week, the administration um, announced to the Department of Justice that they're actually going to be indefinitely detaining anyone who arrives at the border who's seeking asylum, which has been a major shift. And this includes families and children. Absolutely. we're not talking just a handful. We're talking hundreds, even thousands. That's right. And we're looking primarily at people fleeing difficult conditions in Latin American countries. I, I believe Honduras is at the top of the yeah, list. Yeah, so they're they're leaving the central, tri- the northern triangle, which is Honduras, uh, El Salvador, and Guatemala. And I, you know, this isn't new. This is a this is something that's been happening for the last you know a number of years. They're I, fleeing conditions in those countries that are intolerable. Absolutely, and in fact, I was going to share you know in 2014 um, where there was an increase. That was the beginning of when we started seeing an increase of mothers and children coming over. We at the National Immigration Center sued the Obama administration. At the time, uh, that was about detaining families that were coming over. There wasn't the ripping of families and children being ripped apart from their parents the way this administration is doing, and there wasn't the indefinite detention either. Um, But we sued, and so as part of that lawsuit, I had the chance to go um, to one of the detention centers. And I have to say, you know, speaking to these moms and speaking to teenagers, to girls, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, when you hear a mother explaining that, you know, she made the difficult decision to leave because her 11-year-old daughter was being threatened with being gang raped. Um, and when she went to report it to the police, the police basically didn't do anything about it. And then the next day, she started getting flyers on her door saying, if you go back to the police, we're going to kill your family. Uh. I mean, clearly, she knew at that moment that the police was not there to protect her. Hmm. Um, and so anyone, I mean, just I, I think part of what's happening is that people need to ask themselves, like, what would it take for me to make this perilous journey of 20, 
25 days of walking, knowing, not knowing whether I'll make it or not. Things have to be so absolutely difficult. It's like if a house is burning, you're going to jump out the window. You're going to do whatever you need to get out and seek safety. And that is why people are coming. And, And we have the laws in place. It's not about any new laws. It's simply about allowing people the ability to go through the regular asylum process and ensure that they can seek safety in our country, which is a bedrock of this nation. The president describes what's happening on the border as uh, an invasion. He's used that word a number of times. He said it's drug dealers, although, as I understand it, the drugs are coming primarily through the ports of entry. Ports of entry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's also, of course, famously started his campaign for president talking about rapists and murderers, primarily from Mexico. Uh, and, and he's used this language to describe as I've interpreted it, to make white people scared that somehow the the country is being taken over by brown people. Uh, It seems to be effective in in maintaining his base. But are you seeing across the country, uh, I mean, where does it stand? I I mean, I just asked you what this terrible policy has. How does it make you feel, particularly as a person of color? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, as a Latina, as an immigrant from Colombia, as a woman, I know it's, I know at a deeply personal level, Chad, how dangerous this moment is in our country. And it's not a surprise that he's using this language. I mean, he does not believe in our humanity. He does not believe we are people. He thinks we are animals, which he's Mm -hmm. actually used that language to describe people coming over the border. Um, he uses the term invasion exactly from a perspective of fear-mongering. And fear is a very, very powerful emotion. Sure and is. they're really tapping into that rather than, and using race basically as a wedge and to scare his base and to rile his base. And we've seen that that, lang- that language, that rhetoric has real consequences. It is that rhetoric that I believe, that hate speech that is then resulting in um, the increase and a much more uh, public and vocal white supremacy and white nationalism that has been sweeping the nation. Let's bring us up to date on the status of DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It's it's on hold, correct? Yes. So that is one of the places where we've been um, very successful. Uh, we sued the administration within three hours of when they <laughs> terminated. We were ready. ready. <laughs> we were ready. Yes. And uh, so we sued the administration um, out of New York, and it's a national class action lawsuit on behalf of immigrant youth with DACA. Um, there are a number of other lawsuits, including the California Attorney General's uh, as well. I believe believe actually Hawaii is part of um, I think we were yeah, yeah is part of the New York case as well um, and along with like 17 other states it's been great to see the role of state attorney generals stepping up in this moment again to defend the constitution and defend communities under attack um, but anyways long story short is that the courts have held um, and have blocked the administration from going forward so there's an injunction in place which means that up until now immigrant youth continue to have who have DACA continue to have that stability um, the administration has tried to appeal it all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has decided not to take it so far, um, which means that at least probably through early 2020, um, young people with DACA will continue to have that. They'll be able to renew. And that provides much needed stability. But at the end of the day, we still need a permanent solution, which is only possible through Congress. And there's legislation that's been introduced that we've been working on um, that was introduced just a few weeks ago, um, both the House and the Senate side, which would provide that permanent path to citizenship for immigrant youth. And then there's all 
also uh, a legislative effort to try to protect uh, immigrants with temporary protected status who are individuals who have gotten this protection. Some of them have been here since the 1980s. This is their home. Many of the countries that were terminated are African countries. Mm. Um, Some are Latin American countries. And again, that has been an effort that the administration has been trying to actually grow the undocumented population. This is folks who have status, who've been able to live and work and study in the United States. And this administration is trying to take that away from them and put them at risk of deportation. Two more issues. This one in the news even today, the census, U.S. census, Citizenship query. This is something that the Trump administration wants, a question about citizenship on the census, which, of course, is coming up next year. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this is a um, an issue that is of grave concern, frankly, to everyone in the country. Um, it doesn't matter what, part, what party you are on. The census basically allow the Constitution provides for every single person to be counted. Right. And that counting of individuals then results in the federal funding that states and localities get. And so Honolulu, the state of Hawaii, is at great risk of losing funding if people are not accurately counted. So it's, it should be something that is so simple um, that everybody would want to make sure that we have the right numbers of people count, the, the numbers of people counted. Um, but as you mentioned, the administration is trying to include this question. And we've seen already through some research we've done in California, especially in the Fresno area, Central Valley, um, which is a very diverse area that people have said, citizens uh, have said, that if they are asked that question, they are likely not to answer the census. And that is coming from a place of fear that someone in their family who may be undocumented or may have some other status may be at risk of being detained or deported. There's also simply a risk of people really in this moment, in this country not trusting the government of what will happen with that information. Will that information be used? Although there's a confidentiality clause, will that actually be used for ICE to have access to the so the rumor ICE, and the immigrations, fear customs enforcement. enforcement. Yes, thank you. Um, so the, the concern that the information would be shared with the Immigration Customs and Enforcement Agency is grave. And so the issue was argued before the Supreme Court this week. We'll have to wait and see where they land. Likely we'll get a decision in the next weeks, at, at, definitely before the end of June, okay. before the Supreme Court okay. closes. My final question for you, and this I don't know how much of this is on your radar, but it is certainly here in Hawaii, uh, Micronesian immigrants from uh, three Micronesian nations that have a treaty with mm-hmm. the U.S., the COFA Treaty. Um, how much are you aware of the situation facing uh, Micronesian immigrants, COFA migrants as we call them, who can come in here, they can live here, they can study, they can stay forever, they can have kids, they just can't vote or receive benefits mm-hmm. in most cases. Yeah. Are you aware of that issue at all? I am somewhat. I'm not, um, you know, definitely not uh, an expert on That's the COFA right. migrants. Um, we definitely, uh, at the National Immigration Law Center, it's an issue that we have dealt with for many years, mainly in terms of immigrant, uh, Micronesian or COFA migrants' access to health and benefits issues right. at the federal level, which is an is- area that we work quite a bit on. I mean, I think that the one thing that I would say is that whether it's Micronesians here or whether it's undocumented Koreans in L.A., or any parts. I mean, I think as a as a society, we all benefit when everyone has the resources and the tools that they need to thrive. And so having individuals who have limitations um, on their ability to become citizens, on their ability to vote, to be to have self-determination of um, being able to uh, um, support their families and their co- and contribute to their communities actually does no one good. Uh, <laughs> there are long-term consequences yes. of that. And so um, I'm, you know, I've been learning a lot um, these sure. days while I was in Hawaii here in Honolulu and look forward to learning more about that and seeing if there are ways for us to partner. I think that the mainland has a lot to learn from Hawaii, um, its diversity and the 
welcoming nature, which is so critical to the the, the values held so dearly here. And I would hope that that ex- extends as well to um, to the COFA migrants. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I want to thank you, Marielena Incapie, Executive Director of the National Immigration Law Center. Uh, thanks for coming to Hawaii and specifically to the Pod Squad in our little whisper room here on Wailai Avenue. <laughs> and I hope you get to enjoy a little bit um, of the islands before you go back to L.A. Thank you so much, Chad. Greatly appreciate it. And you can visit us at civilbeat.org and follow us on Twitter and Facebook for the Pod Squad for Honolulu Civil Beat. I'm Chan Blair. Take care and adios. Just to do something Ciao. different today. Yeah. <laughs>